Welcome to the Italian Wine Podcast. This episode is brought to you by Vinitali International Wine and Spirits Exhibition. The 54th edition of Vinitali will be held from the 10th to the 13th of April, right here in Verona. To discover more about Vinitali and get your tickets, visit vinitali.com. This year, the Italian Wine Podcast will be live and in person in Pavilion 6, Stand A7. So come on down and say hello. Welcome to this special Italian wine podcast broadcast. This episode is a recording off Clubhouse, the popular drop-in audio chat. This Clubhouse session was taken from the Wine Business Club and Italian Wine Club. Listen in as wine lovers and experts alike engage in some great conversation on a range of topics in wine. If you enjoy listening, please consider donating through italianwinepodcast.com. Any amount helps cover equipment, production, and publication costs. And remember to subscribe and rate our show wherever you tune in. Welcome, everybody. Uh, it is 12 o'clock New York time, 6 p.m. in Europe. And this is the Italian Wine Club at Clubhouse. And today, this is, you know what, you guys, you guys know the drill. This is what we call the Ambassador's Corner. So one of our ambassadors at Lodge, they invite one of their favorite producers. And they get to kind of do the deep dive. It does last about 60 minutes. And we've done this for some time now. Laika, what, what is the... Um, how long have we been doing this? Well, this is actually, we've, we've started this in July 8th with Cynthia Chaplin and Alberto Tosca. And then, so from then, we've been continuing this regularly. And now this is the 30, 33rd, uh, 33rd episode. Yeah, it's 33rd like episode. Age of <laughs> Jesus Christ. I mean, luckily I'm agnostic. Okay. All right. So today with us, we have, and uh, by the way, I will tell you that um, this will be replayed on Italian Wine Podcasts. I don't know when. That's up to Joy, our producer. Hey, Joy, are you on? I am. How's it going? Are you guys missing me yet? <laughs> well, I was going to say, when are you coming back? I'm actually coming <laughs> back. I'm leaving today, but you guys probably won't see me because Monday at the crack of dawn, um, I have to go to London. So you'll probably see me Tuesday. Hey, Mark. Mark, are you in London? You should come. You should come to. We're we're doing a presser. Joy, can you reach out to him with um with some of some of us? Yes. Us from the um, back office. Manuela has all the information. You should try to come, Mark, to the presser. It said it said it's about. Oh wait, he wants to speak now. Oh, I'll let him speak. Mark. I will be with you. I am coming. Oh, you are coming because I didn't see your name on, on the list. So Yes, looking okay. forward to it. Oh, great. All right. I'm very, very psyched. So I'll see you in London. See you in London. Okay, so let's get this started. So we are here with this very funny, with a very heavy French accent because she's <laughs> French. But she, yeah. yes, believe it or not, she is our Italian wine ambassador. She did the course um, in June last yeah. year. And where you ask at least 1,000 questions to Professor Shins, I believe. And but I was everybody like, enjoyed the answers, right? Yeah, yes. I was <laughs> like, this, uh, this woman is either going to be really, do really perform really well in exam or she's, go she's completely going to fail. <laughs> Luckily, you, you passed the exam with, you know, with stars. You're one of our stellar students. So it's Fanny, Fanny Bru Bruil. How do, you, how do you say your last name? Well, you could read it uh, like in Italy, B-R-O-G-L. 
B-R-O-L-I-E, Breuil. It's Breuil like the Italian Breuil, Brogli, Breuil. B-R-E-U-I-L, Breuil. And she kept on saying, c'est génial, c'est génial. So by the end of the course, everyone was saying, c'est génial, c'est génial. So Fanny's very famous. She came to, you came to Etna with us. Oh, no, where did you? Yes, we, yeah, yeah, yeah. She yeah. came to Etna with us. This was So she started, but she's already been on a Gita Scolastica with us. And so tell us, you, you also work with Ellen. Yeah. And I'm sure you've heard the course through Ellen, right? Is that correct? Uh, yeah, I learned from Ellen, you're right. Yes. Yeah, yeah, because Ellen had done the course um, a few years back, actually. And she's coming back to receive yeah. her exam, so we're very excited about that. So, Fanny, tell us a little bit about yourself. Where are you based? It says Angers in Loire, but where, where is that exactly? Angers, it's uh, in Loire. It's uh, two hours driving from Paris, uh, on the west. Um, it's so is that in, close to the water? It's close. Well, Angers, it's bit, it's, do you know Nantes? It's yes. City? Yeah, Nantes. So I am, Angers, it's one hour driving east from Nantes. This is the region, the wine region for uh, L'Anjou, uh, for Chenin, for Gamay, Grolo, uh, Cabernet Sauvignon, Cabernet Franc. It's also a wine region. Yeah, so you first started as a winemaker, right? Yes, uh, I studied agronomy and enology in Toulouse. And yes. uh, first, I wanted to be a winemaker, so I worked only in production in La Loire, in Italy, in Emilia Romagna, and in Chile. And then I moved, I followed my husband, I moved to the United States. In oh, Wisconsin. you have one husband? I You never talk about your husband. I didn't even think you were married. <laughs> Well, it doesn't change uh, what I what I do. <laughs> yeah, okay, that's fine. Just you know, trying to contextualize your life. Okay. <laughs> so I moved to a, a state where there is no wine production, Wisconsin, in the United States. Oh my and, goodness! Uh, I I I have had a, a great experience there actually, and I worked for a wine importer. Uh, Which one? Swiss salons. Okay. He was mainly importing Swiss wines. Yes, I, I gathered because never heard of it myself. <laughs> okay. And this is where I discovered uh, wine sales and uh, explain education, explanation, and wine passion. I had to to work on a, on an area as a sales rep, and I, I had customers with whom I was talking, discussing about wines, and I really liked it. And when the project was finished and when I came back to France, I wanted to continue working wine growers and, and selling their wines abroad with mm -hmm. this uh, international um, vision. Right. So in 2008, I founded the Genuine Wines, and uh, I really wanted to help wine growers located in lesser known uh, region, region I could explain more, I could um, bring the focus on. And I started working with Jura and Emilia Romagna. Why Emilia Romagna? Yes. <laughs> with Lasco Like Jura and then, ding, Emilia Romagna. Exactly. In the same time, I started with these two domains and, and I grew up, I, I developed uh, the portfolio. It remains small to really work as a cell, as, as a, each with each team. Now I, I'm more working for each of them. Now Ellen is working, working together. And um, these are French and Italian domains. 
Yeah, I love you two both very much. So listen, uh, Fanny, so w- w- give me some of the names of your Italian wine producers. I work with Cogenti from uh, Silvatena, Volo uh, in Emilia-Romagna. Which it's one? Tunza. It's a small winery called Dina Volo okay. in Emilia-Romagna. He produces Giulio Armani. He's also a winemaker at La Stoppa. He produces... Uh, oh, only... he's the winemaker, yeah. And he has his own project. He makes white wines with uh, skin contact maceration, so more orange mm-hmm. wines. And Tunia, also in Tuscany. Okay. Both uh, white and red uh, wines, also sparkling wine. And I work with Tenuta Grillo. I import the wines. In, I have a small activity importing wines into France. Tenuta Grillo, they are in Gamalero in Piemonte. Also having a small production in uh, uh, Campania, in Tufiello, in the middle of Campania, with Fiano. And uh, I import also Ariana Occupinti wines uh, to France. Do you have, I mean, do you, not exclusively, right? With How does that work? It depends. Well, uh, they are small producers. The, the, the most important is having their, their wines well distributed. That's the most important things to me. So in my region, uh, in the whole uh, northwest part of France, yes, I can have the exclusivity. But if there is someone else far away with a distribution well organized, yes, of course, they can, can work also with the wines. For some producers, they don't have enough wines to be everywhere. So I have an exclusivity. But Ariana Kipinti, for instance, I'm not the only French uh, wine. Yeah, yeah, I had imagined so. Listen, I see Fermented Boss. He is actually Hugh Priest. Have you met Hugh? No. You, no, you haven't met him yet. He's one of the big active members of, uh, of course, VIA, the Vinitaly uh, community. And he had interviewed in a few months ago Ariana Kipinti. Uh, in ah, the ambassador's oui, corner. Oui, yes, yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that was him. I so yes, I remember. And I for anyone who hasn't it. heard that, listen to that. You know, ha- go have a go check it out. It's one of our mo- more popular episodes. Okay, and hi to Hugh. Sorry, I couldn't meet you yesterday. I, it was like yucky. It was snowing. So I just, I just jetted. I love, you know, I love um, Javits very, very quickly. But I was supposed to meet with him. So sorry about that, Hugh. Okay, so let's go on with the show. Uh, Fanny, I know, of course, you've chosen Federico because he's one of your wineries. But why else did you no, choose Federico? No, it's what well, it's not the, the, the main reason actually. Yes, uh, because we have had this discussion before, and this this is a, this is not to promote. It's more to share um, uh, the the very deep and and a history, and I think it can be interesting also for us knowing more Sangiovese. So the reason why I selected Federico is, well, I love a lot the wines, that's for sure. But um, I think they ha- this domain has a great dedication to local grapes. Here we are in Tuscany, so this is Sangiovese. Uh, Sangiovese, it's the number one most planted grape variety in Italy. So it's interesting to to discuss um, more specifically on about this grape in this wine region. Uh, and, and what I really liked with the Fattoria Selvapiana is the fact they have been the first or part of the first domain making Chianti with only Sangiovese. And I'm talking of I'm talking about the period of uh, nineteen the end of nineteen seventies. Right. So this now was it's kind very of the popular trend now. You know, yeah, I think they have been pioneer. To yeah, today local grapes are very. Uh, it's it's important. People are talking more and more about it, and which is 
true. It's, it's a very good uh, trend and we need to do more. Already they were making this choice, which was not an easy choice at that time. I think this is uh, also interesting for us to, to listen to their experience and observation. I really like the wines, the fact that in this wine region, the wines are able of long aging and become very complex. But also what I, I really like is that Federico is really humble. Uh, well, the the picture, <laughs> see the picture. It's not him, and uh, well, we can see uh, it's a glass of red wine. <laughs> uh, yes. <laughs> so okay. he's is very humble. He's very respecting. He respects a lot his colleague. He's very respected too, and um, every high professional journalist uh, will describe Celopiana as one of one of the best from Chianti uh, Rufina, even able to compete with Chianti Classico. And they never take advantage of this. They, they, so uh, this is something I'm very sensitive to. Uh, okay. So. He's the dude I met um, at Vinexpo, right? Yes, you did. Okay. Yes, okay. Exactly. All right. Already. So listen, what about the learning objectives? Well, Sangiovese. This will okay. be uh, a great experience for us talking about Sangiovese. How do we adapt the climate change to this grape? Uh, how the grape is be behaving on different soil, different microclimates? Federico has two uh, works on two uh, DOC, uh, Chianti, Chianti Rufina, DOCG, and Pomino. So um, I think this is interesting to, to hear him. He, he has muscle selection. He works with clone. Well, I think this can be very interesting. All right, listen. So, um, Fanny, I've made everybody mods. So I'm going to jet. I will I will be listening to you guys, but I got to do a lot of shit, like pack and do everything and hopefully did until my sister's car away. So, okay. All right. I'm leaving you. Have fun. And I will hope to see you guys all very, very soon. I'll see you Monday, mod. Ciao ragazzi. Up to you. Um, the mic is completely up to you now, Fanny. Ciao Sylvie. Thank you very much for this for the moment and introduction. Bye bye and thank you. you very much. Let me introduce you to everyone. So Federico, you have grown up at uh, Selva Piana. Your, your father was the estate manager of the domain from 1950 till 1980. And you have always wanted to work at the domain. Uh, just after high school, uh, you, you already started working at Selva Piana, mostly learning from the old estate team. Uh, of course, you have also studied at University of Florence for agriculture for two years. Uh, but in 1992, you were already involved at the domain and trying also working um, with organic farming. You had a, you have a background of active, uh, green movement, and, and this is uh, why you were interested in organic farming. You are very linked to Rufina, yeah. and you love being the ambassador for Rufina. In 1942, Francesco Giuntini, uh, who was the, the owner of the domain, uh, decided to legally adopt you and your sister because he has uh, always considered you uh, and Sylvia, your, your sister, as his family, and he has no children. And uh, this is a yep. pleasure for me to, to be with you today. My pleasure, Fanny, my pleasure. <laughs> Buonasera a tutti. Alors, Fe, Fran, uh, Federico, uh, Francesco Giuntini, yep. your father, he's a very well-respected person. Well, I was just saying before, he has been a leader for many other producers in Chianti when he decided not adding uh, more Merlot or Cabernet in the, in the Chianti blend 
1978. So someone very respected by lots of people and uh, many wine growers followed uh, his path. What has been your first challenge when you took the domain over? It's a long story. To make a long story very short is that uh, Francesco, in the 70s, due to his uh, family relationship and to his network of friendship, was involved first together with Luigi Veronelli. This was the most important wine writer that we had here in Italy for, for the beginning for, for many years. He, Veronelli found a group of producers in an association called the Vide to start to promote independent small estate and to improve quality on many wines. So being in this group of producers where there was a great producer like the uh, Feluga, the Ceretto and many others of the great producer of Italy, Francesco was in the, in the group of producers that started the renaissance of Italian and Tuscany wine. Then he's always knew that Rufina deserved a much better place in the wine world than they used to have in the 70s. So his main efforts were to improve the quality of Silvapiana wines, but also to, have, to push the other colleague of Rufina to do the same. In 78, he's also hired a very, one, very young winemaker to help Silvapiana to improve the wines, and is uh, Franco Bernabelli. And Franco is still working with us, and it's been a long relationship. And one of the first things they did together was to take away white grapes and other grapes from the Chianti Reserva. And that was back in 78. Then in 79, they also started to, go, to produce and to bottle a single vigna reserva. It's called Vigneto Buscerchiale. That is the flagship wine of Selvapiana. It's the wine that made us a little bit well known in the wine world. And in, 70, in those years, was also the years that many wines and many producers started to improve Chianti wines by pushing their wines out of the appellation. The appellation rules were very strict and not very clear, or at least you had to blend the white grapes and other things. So many wines became vino da tavola, like Pergole Torte, Flaccianello, and Ceparello, and many others. But Francesco, that is very honest and legal, etc., decided to keep calling Buscerchiale Chianti Rufina Riserva, even if it was not legally a Chianti because it was just Sangiovese. But in this way, he made Rufina a little bit better known and put Rufina again in the map of high-quality wines. I joined Francesco just after high school in 87, and the great challenge was to learn first and then try to help him to improve the estate. The estate at that time was uh, a little bit smaller than nowadays. At that time, we had only 25 hectares of vineyards. Now we have something like 60 hectares of vineyards. We all started to replant and to improve and to acquire also a little bit uh, some new areas to plant vineyards. So it's been a long training 
and never finished training uh, time. But the main effort was to understand every single vineyard of Selva Piana and to understand how to improve the quality and how to plant better vineyards, how to increase the quality of the cellar, increase the quality of the wines, increase distribution. It was quite a long story. Mm, thank you. Did, did you. Did you say that first it was not allowed to to bottle uh, 100% Sangiovese in this appellation? Did you say that? Or was yeah, it sure. Chianti was not legally 100% Sangiovese. Mm. That's why other producers decided their 100% Sangiovese will not be in the appellation. The, again, Pergole Torte, Flaccianello, these great wines started to be produced outside the appellation rules. The, the appellation changed uh, probably in 2005-2004 they became legally to do 100% Chianti or Chianti Classico. I see. Oh, and this group, of wines, this group of wines they were called at the beginning Vino da Tavola, then they became the very famous Super Tuscany wines. Some were just Sangiovese, some were a little bit with the international varieties as well, like Tignanello. Tignanello has been the first of this group of wines. And it's great to, to move the to move the line sometimes and to to help um, improving the, uh, the 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 appellation. One day you told me that Chianti is the third most famous Italian word after ciao and pizza. <laughs> it makes me laugh. But uh, my question is: Is it hard to be in Chianti area and to have a Chianti word beside Rufina, or or is it helping you for promoting the the wine? It's, uh, in my opinion, being Chianti has always been very ha hard. Back in the days, again, Luigi Veronelli, I was very, very young, probably was uh, 1980, 1982. He was here visiting Francesco. He told Francesco that if Rufina want to become a serious and very famous area, we had to be away from Chianti. Because already at that time, The idea in the consumer mind in the market is that the good and great Chianti is classical and all the others are the poor cousin of Chianti classic. So it's been a long year to try to have all the other producers here in Rufina on this uh, agenda. It's still not yet, but I wish next generation will understand this because uh, First of all, we had nothing to do with the rest of Chianti in terms of uh, soil, climate, and, uh, and wines. And second, also back in the days, in 17 and 16, when the Grand Duke of Tuscany, Cosimo III de' Medici, made the first law in Europe and probably in the world to protect and to give rules to wine areas, Our areas was not called Chianti, it was called Rufina Pomino. So we were already very different from Chianti Classico and from the rest of Chianti. The mistake mm. came in the 30s, 1930s, when the DOC of Chianti was made, and most, more or less all Tuscany became Chianti. And then something they made, uh, probably at that time was even uh, right, because there was a very high demand of wine, there was not enough production, Italy has many problems. But nowadays, I think it's time for a change. 
And I wish sooner or later everybody understand that Rufina is not Chianti, but it's just Rufina. So what's the um, difference between Chianti Rufina and Chianti Classico? As you were mentioning, they're very different. Well, and the main difference is climate. Uh, first of all, Rufina, as you know, is the northern appellation of Chianti. It's also the smallest, but it's the northest. We are northeast of Florence, so that means that we are very close to the Apennine that divide Tuscany from Emilia-Romagna. The Apennine help us to have uh, a much different microclimate, and also the river Sieve that runs in the middle of our appellation help also to have uh, a different climate and very unique climate. And the main difference of this climate is that we are probably the area where we had the more rainy area, and also we, the area where we had the longer ripening season, because we ripe very late, our Sangiovese ripes very late. But also, and that was making the real difference, is that the difference, the shift, the difference in temperature between night and day are very dramatic. So in this way, the grapes of Rufina always keep all the fruity aroma, all the freshness, and a very good acidity. So that's the main difference. The wines of Rufina are normally the wines that have probably not big body wines, not in enormous standings, but very fine and elegant wines. And you were talking about Bucerchiali, which is your emblematic wines uh, produced only from Sangiovese grape. Can you tell us more about Bucerchiali, uh, about this plot specifically? Bucerchiali has always been the best place for Sangiovese Selvapiana. So it was very easy for Francesco and my father and Franco Bernabei when they decide to make a single vineyard to pick Bucerchiale as the best. It has a very uh, good slope, uh, very steep slope, southwest facing. The first parcel of Bucerchiale was planted in 1968, and the Sangiovese there is on a soil that is a very mix, has clay, limestone, very strong, uh, uh, very fresh soil, very deep soil, and very well-drained soil, and very rich of, uh, we say, skeletal, very rich of stones. So there's lots of minerality in Bucerchiale, and there's lots of uh, uh, fruity aroma and very terroir-driven wine. Hello. The Sangiovese, who is planted on this climate and this type of soil, because you have different type of soil and climate in your in your winery, in your, on your estate, how would Sangiovese behave here in Bucerchiale? First of all, the main difference here at Solapiana we can see between the new plot that we bought, the Vigneto Erchi, compared to Bucerchiale. All the other vineyards are very similar because they're all around the, the property. The only difference is uh, exposure, so it's a question of uh, ripening time, but uh, not of uh, quality. Uh, first of all, the, the Sangiovese of Bucerchiale, the main difference, the, main, the most important thing of the Bucerchiale of Sangiovese is the long ripening season. So, and the fact that the Bucerchiale vineyard has such a great uh, richness, yet a very well balanced grape and very fresh and uh, ripe grapes. Sangiovese is not an easy grape to grow, first of all, 
it tends to be a little bit more fertile when other, than other grapes. I tend to have a little bit too tight berry, uh, too tight uh, grapes, and does have thicker skin. But if you grow and if you help Sangiovese to ripe well, it makes extraordinary wines, very terroir-driven wines. At Bucerchiali, normally we have a little bit more higher sugar than the other vineyards of Selvapiana, yet we have a very good acidity and very ripe and fine tannins. The only problem is very rainy vintages because there's a little bit of clay. So sometimes rainy vintages are not so perfect for Bucerchiali as the clay retain a little bit of moisture, a little bit of the water. So the berry tends to grow a little bit too much. Otherwise, the Bucerchiali Sangiovese is quite unique. So, and you have, another, you have started a new project with Erki. Uh, another cru of pure Sangiovese that you have planted in another area. Can you tell us more about this project? Yeah, that's uh, If Bucerchiale is the project of Francesco, uh, my father, Erki is really the project of uh, our generation. We were lucky enough to buy this land in 1998. It's uh, top of the hill, not in the Rufino municipality, but in Pontassieve. It is one of the four municipalities of the Rufin Appellation. We bought this land because for four vintages, we cultivated vineyards that were close by. And then when we knew that there was this piece of land on sales we tried to buy, it's part of an amphitheater that is all southeast facing, where there are, there are four others, very good properties of Rufina. One is Iveroni, the other one is Il Capitano, then there is a Cereto Libri, and then there is another property of the Frescobaldi family. So the main difference is soil. Soil in Erki is much rich of uh, limestone and also rich of iron. So the wines are completely different from uh, Selvapiana. And we planted the vineyards in 1999, and we need, after a few harvests, we saw a great difference. And so we decided to look for a new single vineyard from Erki. And the first winter was 16. We waited that the vineyards were old enough to give uh, very high quality and very complex and rich wines. So if you want to make a comparison between Bucerchiale and Erki, Bucerchiale, if you can talk about Chianti Classico, for example, as a comparison, Bucerchiale is much more similar to Gaiole wines fresh and fruity and very elegant. Erki is more similar to Castelnuovo Berardeng, to the southern part of uh, Chianti Classico, where the wine is a little bit more rich, more dark as well, and more ripe red fruit. And which one is, um, is get maturity area? Which is, which plot is harvested uh, first? Erki is always harvested, probably five, seven days earlier than Bucerchiale. And in these years, everything is changing due to ripening season and uh, harvesting time. By all research, is with uh, ahead times compared to, to Bucerchiale. Erk is also the vineyards that we prune at the end to avoid uh, frost or late frost problems. You know, the climate is, uh, is a big uh, challenge nowadays for growers. 
Yeah, you're anticipating my, my question exactly. This is it. Now, Sangiovese, it's an early, an early bud break and a late harvest, so it needs a long-growing season. Which practices have changed over the last 20 years to adapt to the climate change? A lot. Nearly, I won't say everything, but a lot. If you speak with my father, for example, he never picked the grapes before the 10th of October, except vintage 1985. Nowadays, sometimes at the 10th of October, the new wine is already in oak. So mm -hmm. that means that we have changed many, many of the practice that we were using to do. First of all, is pruning. We prune much later than before. Try to have as late as possible but break. Second, we don't do any more green harvest to delay the ripening as well and to have less rich grapes we, we don't need anymore because the, the climate is even too warm. So we have enough sugar naturally. Uh, I, I remember when I started to work at Celopiano, we were happy when uh, the higher level of, of, of alcohol of the new wine was 13.5. Now we are happy when it's the, the lower because there's too much sugar now in the grapes. Second, we are doing much different canopy management. We try to keep the, the, the grapes in the shade as much as possible. Um, and then we are trying to have uh, uh, more deeper winter, uh, digging the soil more deeper to have more air and more water into the, into the soil. We don't work anymore the soil in the summertime. We do something like a cover crop to keep the cut grass on the soil to have a little bit of humidity and to avoid evaporation. And also, when we know there's a big heat is coming, we try to protect the leaves and the grapes with the product like white clay to lower the temperature of the leaves and to avoid the drought and water stress to the vines. But now, honestly, climate is a big challenge every vintage. Yeah, lots of challenge. Asking wine growers to adapt very fast to to unique uh, situation. We know it's uh, it's becoming yeah. uh, not easy. Um, no, and, you, and, you but the problem is that uh, as growers, we are always very late in changes. We don't like changes. So it's, uh, it's a double challenge for us. Quick changes and to see the climate is so different. And, and you have also a few hectares in another appellation, Pomino, um, which is not very far from uh, Chianti Rufina, but it's another appellation, another climate and, uh, and style. What's the main difference do you see in between? I, I, let's keep on Sangiovese grape, if, if you agree. What's the main difference would be growing Sangiovese in Pomino and in Chianti Rufina? First of all, Pomino is, the, is one of the very old appellations of Tuscany, as we were saying before. It's a very small appellation as well. There's only two producers. One is the Frescobaldi family. They own uh, a large amount of vineyards up there, probably 120 hectares. We have six hectares in Pomino. Pomino is very unique because it's very high, and we are very north appellation. So 450 meters in Pomino is a lot. And the main difference between roofing and Pomino is soil. In Pomino, you can find the galestro, the white schist, and also climate. Pomino is even cooler than Rufina, and the ripening is even slower and even later. 
same grape between Selvapiana and Pomino, there is only 15 minutes away, but Selvapiana is 250, 300 meters, Pomino is 450, 500 meters. It's more than a five days. So the, the, to make a long story very short, the Sangiovese of Pomino is a very Pinot, Pinot Noir style of Sangiovese. Very elegant, very fine, very soft tannins, and long aftertaste, but quite fresh still. And uh, yeah, and a good production in Pomino. You can have. And the domain, um, if you are back to um, a more general picture of uh, Selvapiana, the domain is surrounded by forest. Uh, you also own forest. Uh, it's, um, is it a plus for you to be in the middle of nature? Does it help you for, for growing for green grapes? Know, first of all, the woodland is very important because it brings us... No, it's, all, it's very important because it brings us biodiversity. Uh, richness in the present of uh, natural predator for the insect that can uh, spoil the grape can also help a lot in having a little bit uh, shade and cooler uh, weather at the end of the day. On the other side, having so much woodland around is a big problem for wild birds and uh, deers. They can make lots of problems to the to the vineyards. Uh, so that's why. Even if it's not very beautiful to see, all the vineyards at Selvapiana are completely fenced to protect from wild boar and deers. But yeah, and also woodland is very important because uh, it gives us this uh, presence of different uh, biodiversity. Hmm. Yeah, we, we maybe next time we'd have to, it would be nice to have salsiccia. Uh, um, <laughs> <laughs> from wild boar, yeah. From salumi, uh, from from the local boar. Um, yeah, it's a it's a big pest. Uh, um, they can they really so many of these in Tuscany, and it's uh, it's quite dangerous and it's quite problematic for the girls. You can easily lose uh, 25 percent of your crop in no, I won't say overnight, but in a couple of nights if the wild boar understood that they can get in the vineyards. Wow, that's a yeah. lot. So Nicolo, your, your son, has joined you uh, at the domain recently, and I'm sure this is great to and a real proud to, to work together, father and son. How do you organize your work? How do you separate uh, tasks? First of all, having Nicolo, it's a great pleasure to work together. Secondly, it's not very easy. Uh, normally, father is never the teacher of the son. That's why in the last four years, probably five, four years, we hire an agronomist that help us, first of all, to be in between us, and, and second, to help us to face uh, the climate changing in all the works that we have to do in the vineyards. And second, Nicola is 100% in charge of, of the seller nowadays. And so he does everything. Uh, without even uh, need to tell me what he does. He's very well-educated. You know, he, he studied in, in Alba, so he knows a little bit how to make wines, and he's been doing harvest, uh, one in Oregon and one in uh, Argentina and Chile. And then, unfortunately, COVID stopped traveling, so otherwise he would be in New Zealand and Australia as well to see how you know, different properties and different areas and different Reality makes wines and deal with wines and deal with the problems. 
But nowadays, it's completely in charge of the production. It's funny enough because nowadays, Franco Bernabede is facing the third Giuntini Massetti. He will speak directly to him about how to make the wines, how to make the blends. They taste together and they discuss together. So it's a great privilege to work with the sun. It's not always easy, but I enjoy a lot. And we oh, share tasks very easily. Oh, super. And make, it, make us talk a lot about what we, we will do tomorrow. Yeah, because the it. great challenge is to see for these size of properties what to do tomorrow and how to compete in the global market, how to compete in terms of quality, what we want to improve the quality, which kind of wine we, want, we would like to make, uh, how we want to increase what we have done till now, which investment we need, which vineyards we need to replant. Uh, so I'm, I'm, nowadays I'm much more dedicated on olive trees is most dedicated on cellar and vineyards. And I do the market, as you know. Yeah, a I big challenge and preparing the future. Raising yeah, the it's right very complicated because what I see is that, uh, especially here in Tuscany or in Italy, but in Tuscany for sure, big guys are becoming bigger and bigger. And so the market, the share, the, 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 the room for small property is a little bit more difficult to find. But we have been around for many years, and I think we'll be around for more years as well. But yeah, we have to know what we have to see and what we have, who we have to face and how to have to improve. And fortunately enough, we work with Fanny and Ellen that help us a lot, help us a lot to find new markets. Um, thank you very much, uh, Federico, uh, for sharing with us uh, all your the, your history, your knowledge, your, your question also uh, on uh, how to run an estate and to continue together, as you were saying, with your, with your son. Thank you very much. Uh, I think That's I have uh, no more questions. <laughs> <laughs> but no. it was a pleasure my pleasure hi there Fanny okay so uh, before you guys go anywhere if, if there's any questions from the audience feel free to pose it now we still have a couple minutes left and if there isn't any there is one Ellen Genuine yeah hello <laughs> this is Ellen this is Ellen who works with Fanny hi everyone hi Federico hi Ellen Ciao. Ciao, ciao, ciao. Thanks so much for your um, your conversation with Fanny. Every time you two speak together, I learn so much more. And uh, I wanted to ask you specifically about your history with organics, because when you started to convert the property to organics so many years ago, you were one of the first. And I was wondering if you could kind of just talk a little bit about <clears throat> your history, how if it was easy back then to start you had support and what the Chianti Rufina appellation is doing as a whole to kind of make that similar transition altogether. Uh, thank you. Uh, I started uh, as soon as I was involved with the property with vintage uh, 8080, even if I was still a little bit at university. Francesco at that time didn't allow me to do all the properties organic at once, but he gave me a couple of vignettes where I can try to do the organic methods. And it was not easy. All the, all the state team was quite skeptical at the beginning. But after a couple of vintages, 89, 90, and 91, three vintages, then we see the results. We see the also quality were not lower, was probably even higher 
than in other par parts of, of the property. And, and also costs were not so high. Francesco allowed me to do Silva Piana all organic, uh, probably first winter was 91, 92. At that time, it was not easy to leave all the chemical and go back to copper to start to use properly algae and etc. But results and quality was much, uh, much better than we expected. And then slowly as slowly, we also saw a great improvement in the quality of the soil in terms of biodiversity, in terms of life in the soil. And I would say it was a great step, it was a great result. Nowadays, the soils are very rich and very, very healthy. And roofing in general is quite strong on organic. More than half of the property are already certified organic. Uh, when I was the president of the consortium, I tried to make Chianti Rufina as a organic uh, district or biodistretto, but it was a little more complicated because not everybody were on the same agenda yet. But it will be a question of time that of the 22 producers, the, the three or four that are not yet organic will join the organic uh, practice and the roofing will be an organic district soon. The only problem is that certification, we, we are quite up and down with certification because we don't believe too much in bureaucracy and in certification. But in the last seven years, we have been certified organic methods and everything. We don't certify yet wines. We will do from vintage 2022. 20, I'm very bad with paper and bureaucracy. That's why we didn't do all the certification at once. Thank you, Ellen. Thank you, Fede. Um, do we have any more questions? Ah, we have someone, Andre Bakilin. One second. Let's see here. Hi. Hello to everyone. I am from Latvia. I'm Italian wine ambassador, and I have a very practical question. Uh, in my cellar, I have uh, three bottles of uh, Busserciale 2015, 13, and 09. So, could you describe these vintages, this bottle? Maybe you taste uh, th those, I don't know, these days, uh -huh. and uh, could, could you give us some recommendation which one to open now? <laughs> First of all, thank you for having the, the bottles in your cellar. Second, you have three very good vintages. You know, as producer, we always say that every vintage is great. But probably you have two of the best vintages I ever saw here at Sobrapiana, 09 and 13. And I would say that 13 now is probably the best Buscherchiale in the cellar at this moment in terms of complexity, richness, elegance, and long after taste. And 09 was also a very good vintage. And it was uh, also a large crop vintage, similar to 13, probably a little bit more elegant. Of the three, 09 is the wine that you can enjoy even now. 13 has a longer life. We I would say probably another five, seven years with no problem, even 10 years. 15 is a little more complex vintage because it comes from a warmer vintage. So the wine is a little more rich and a little more ripe. 
it, it is probably the less bucerchiale of the three because it has more richness and it's more tennis, bigger body. And in terms of longevity, that's very hard to say. I do an, an example. 94, that was probably the first warm vintage that we had to face. It's still a very good wine. So we don't know about warmer vintage if they will last or not. Our experience, they, they can have a longer life because it's all due to balance of the wine. This wine has a little more alcohol, but has also have good acidity. And pH is not so high. So I would say 15 you can drink now, but you can even try in five, seven years to see the, the result of a warm vintage in your cellar at Selva Piana. Thank you. You're very welcome. All right. So if we don't have any more questions, any if there's anyone else, then uh, if if not, then I will go ahead and, and close the room. Well, I've got a comment for Federico. It's Mark here. Please go ahead. Federico, I visited Selva Piana in a very, very long time ago in 1990 and met your father and also briefly met you. So it's been wonderful to hear hear your today and to know Thank you. I followed your story and I followed your wines and to hear you today speaking so passionately and to know this great estate is in such good hands. So I just wanted to say bravo for everything you've done and are doing. Thank you very much. You are very kind. The next generation will be even better than mine. So the Sebastian is in good is in even better hands than nowadays when Nicolò and Rebecca will take over 100%. But thank you very much for, for your words. That's very kind of you. No, I mean that. Thank you. All right, everybody. Um, thank you so much to, um, to, to Federico and Fanny. And I, I wish you all a wonderful evening. This will replay on the podcast soon. So um, until then, uh, good night, everybody. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Italian Wine Podcast, brought to you by Vignitaly International Wine and Spirits Exhibition, the biggest drinks trade fair in the world. For more information about Vignitaly and tickets, visit vignitaly.com. And remember to subscribe to Italian Wine Podcast and catch us on SoundCloud, Spotify, and wherever you get your pods. You can also find us at italianwinepodcast.com. guys, I'm Joy Livingston and I am the producer of the Italian Wine Podcast. Thank you for listening. We are the only wine podcast that has been doing a daily show since the pandemic began. This is a labor of love and we are committed to bringing you free content every day. Of course, this takes time and effort, not to mention the cost of equipment, production and editing. We would be grateful for your donations, suggestions, requests and ideas. For more information on how to get in touch, go to italianwinepodcast.com.